Welcome. You're about to listen to a teaching of the Foursquare Gospel Church, VGC District. At Foursquare, we believe in the transformation of communities through the multiplication of disciples, leaders, churches, and movements. May your hearts be blessed and transformed as you listen. Happy New Year. Good to see you all. Ah, praise the Lord. If you are happy to be here, let's just shout a louder hallelujah, standing and waving unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) Okay, okay. Okay, let us pray before you sit down. Let's pray before you sit. Father, we are here again. And Lord, we are here with hearts filled with gratitude. We are here to thank you for your goodness to us. We are here to express our appreciation to you. We thank you, Lord, that you have made it possible for us to be part of this worship service today. The very first one in the year 2022. And to you alone be all the glory in the name of Jesus. We magnify you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that, Father, our seats will not be empty every Sunday in the course of this year in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we will experience your miracles on all fronts in the name of Jesus. Thank you, eternal rock of ages. Glory be unto thy name. In Jesus' name we are prayed. God bless you. Please sit down. I want to share a few thoughts with us this morning just to lay the grounds for our team for this year, which is supernatural miracles. And we would also adopt that for our January team. So in the month of January, we'll be focusing on the same thing, supernatural miracles. And this morning, I'll share a few thoughts on the topic miracles. And then I'll zero in on one of the team texts, which is First Kings chapter 3, I'll look at the story and the account of the encounter in, um, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 3. I'll look at the account, the, the, the story there, and then we'll share a few thoughts that perhaps will guide us as we go through our team this month and also reflect on it the rest of the year. If you have your Bibles here with you, I want you to please turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. Now, if you have the time, maybe after service, I would encourage you to read the whole of chapter 3. Time will not allow us to read the whole of that chapter, but in the course of this message, I will give a summary of... um, Essentially, all that transpired in um, 
in, in the account that was related to us in 2 Kings chapter 3. But for our purpose now, I'll quickly read from verses 9 to 20. Verses 9 to 20. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Verse 9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, Because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I will not pay any attention to you. But now bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. I will fill the valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the streams, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was. Water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Praise the Lord. Let me just stop there. And that's a slightly popular account. 
But I just want to thank God for our team for this year, which is Supernatural Miracles. And I thank God for the expectations that this will create in us. But more importantly, I want to thank God for the devotion to God this should build in us. And how this hopefully will draw us close to God as we experience him more and more in our daily lives, both as individuals and corporately as a church. When we say um, supernatural miracles, like we've been talking about and like I shared during the crossover service, the key to this is our devotion to God. And I pray that by his grace in this year, 2022, that the Lord will leverage this to draw us to himself in Jesus' name. And as we look up to him, as we expect supernatural miracles, that we would also commit ourselves to full devotion to him in Jesus' name. I, I try to find out what is, what, what, what is the definition of miracle so that we all can be on the same page. Because I know that miracle is something that people talk a lot about, and particularly in Christian circles. So it's important that we are all at least on the same page on what miracle is before we launch fully into, into this. I started out by looking at some dictionaries to see how they define um, miracles. I looked at the Merriam-Webster dictionary. It says that a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. And then I moved on to Oxford languages. And Oxford says that miracle is an extraordinary welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore attributed to a divine agency. And then you have dictionary.com. And dictionary.com says that miracle is an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. Such an effect or event manifesting or considered as a work of God. And I like the dot-com one because it mentions God specifically and it uses the capital G for God. And then Cambridge Dictionary says an unusual and mysterious event that is thought to have been caused by a God because it does not follow the usual law of nature. Britannical.com 
says, miracle, extraordinary and astonishing happening that is attributed to the presence and action of an ultimate or divine power. And then I moved towards the Bible. The Baker Illustrated Bible Dictionary describes miracle by saying, it says, God in his infinite wisdom sometimes does unusual and extraordinary things to call attention to himself and his activities. Baker goes further to say, miracles are divinely ordained acts of God that dramatically alter, no, that dramatically alert us to the presence of his glory and power and advance his saving purposes in redemptive history. Now, this is very instructive. And, and, and it's important that we follow this very carefully. Because, you know, today we have all kinds of things happening around in the name of miracles. And because of pressure on people, sometimes pastors, and perhaps on pastors who don't really understand the full import of their calling, there is a lot of pressure on them and they do all kinds of things and call them miracles. It's important for us to know what a miracle is and to also know the purpose of miracles. And I pray that in the course of this month, as we rub minds together and our pastors share thoughts on this subject, that the Lord will further shed light on this subject in Jesus' name. So when we look at the Bible and biblical writers, they describe miracle with various terms. Sometimes they use the word signs, they use wonders, they use powers. But it's important to note that it's not all of God's signs that are miraculous. Some signs are given as part of his ordering of the natural world. And sometimes as an encouragement to faith that God will do as he has said. For instance, you may have signs like rainbow. And since the days of Noah, we have rainbow as a reminder that the Lord will no longer use water to destroy this world. Or you know the account of um, the experience of the Israelites while they were in Egypt, the Passover, the blood of the Passover lamb. Those are all signs not necessarily miraculous. So, as we look at the subject of miracle, as we try to understand what miracles are, it's important to know what does not represent miracle. You know? So, miracles are not clever conjuring tricks involving some kind of deception that can be otherwise explained on a purely scientific basis. In this era of um, um, the internet and with WhatsApp, you see all kinds of videos going around. 
And people do all kinds of things and tag them miracles. It's important for us to be discerning, to know that tricks are not miracles. Um, conjuring tricks are not miracles. Things that are done to deceive people are not miracles. They are not miracles at all. And the purpose of miracle is not necessarily to demonstrate the divinity or designed to overcome prejudice or unbelief. You don't need miracles to describe the divinity of God. God is God and you remain God. And that's why when you are presenting the gospel to people, you present the gospel to people so that they can come to put their trust in God. People believe in faith. The Lord will steer off faith in them. Yes, sometimes when there are miracles, it will help. But you don't necessarily need a miracle for people to come and put their trust in God. People need to believe and to have faith. Because I sometimes hear people pray and say, oh, let's pray. Let there be miracles so that people will believe. Yes, God can decide to go that route. But he's not compelled to go that route. So let's understand what miracles are not. Miracles are not when people conjure things to deceive. No. And we should also not get involved with further promoting and circulating things that are designed to ridicule pastors, particularly those that are genuinely serving the Lord. Because you have all kinds of false people. You have false pastors. You have false prophets who are doing all kinds of nonsense around. But we must know that for every one false pastor out there, you have 10 genuine pastors who are genuinely following God and seeking God's face and genuinely doing the work of God. So that we don't follow the crowd and begin to project all those who conjure nonsense and tricks in the name of miracle. And we keep passing on all those messages and then we send confusing signals so that even when genuine miracles happen, people begin to wonder. We need to be sensitive because the devil is promoting all sorts of things in order to whittle down the effect of what the Lord is doing. I pray we will not be part of that in Jesus' name. We will seek and stand by genuine miracles, genuine acts of God, not to conjure tricks, or to do anything that is designed to deceive. Miracles don't come from man. They don't come from pastors. But they come from who? They come from God, God Almighty. So, key things to note. You know, the significance of a miraculous event is frequently held to reside not in the event as such, but in the reality to which it points to the presence or activity of a divine power, and that is our God Almighty. So, miracles are therefore by God. They are acts of God. Miracles are done in his infinite wisdom and discretion. It's important to note this. In God's infinite wisdom and discretion, they are unusual, they are extraordinary things, they go against the norm or natural trend. 
And they are designed to call attention to God himself and to his activities. The miracles are designed to call attention to God, not to call attention to any man, not to call attention to any pastor, but to call attention to who? To God Almighty. So let me now come back to, to our text and then to the story, to the account in 2 Kings chapter 3. And then as we go through that account, we'll draw lessons from that um, account that would help us as we continue to look up to God for supernatural miracles in the course of this year. Before um, Joram took over as king, when his father was king, Ahab, Moab was under some kind of um, control of Israel, so they paid taxes to Israel. And they would bring in those taxes when Ahab was king. When Ahab passed on, his son took over, and then the king revolted and stopped paying those taxes, you know, bringing in rams, etc. And the son didn't do anything about it. When the son passed on, and, um, and Joram, the brother, took over as king, he wanted to restore that authority and control over Moab. Moab. And this time around, the king want, decided to resist. He, he revolted, essentially. So Joram contacted Jehoshaphat and elicited his support. Now, that support was very strategic because for Israel to be able to assess the land of Moab, it's important to go through Jordan and then go through Edom. Edom was under the control of Jordan at that time. So the moment he got the support of um, Jehoshaphat, he already had the alliance of Edom, and Edom was under the control of Judah. So everything was now set to attack Moab and to restore the authority of Israel over Moab. And the armies of all three kings got together, and then they set out. Seven days into their journey en route to um, attacking Moab, they ran into this massive shortage of water. No more water for them. No more water. And that was disaster. Because how do you go to execute a war without water for your troops and your animals? That was the context. That was the context. And the king of Israel, Joram, his response to it was, ah, how did God bring us all three kings to this place in order to allow the king of Moab to just defeat us? He started by accusing God. And, but Jehoshaphat responded differently. Jehoshaphat then said, look, is there a prophet around that we can seek the mind of God on this matter? And that was how the 
three kings went and met Elisha and then sought the mind of God. And I like the way Elisha, I like the confidence of Elisha. Elisha first looked at uh, Joram and said, look, what do I have to do with you? What do I have to do with you? You should go and meet the prophets of your father and your mother. If you all remember the story of Ahab, you know what Ahab did in the land of Israel. He said, but for the respect that I have for Jehoshaphat, I just pray that we would have very courageous men of God in our land today who will stand and speak the truth to leaders and really talk to them and tell them where they stand. But that was what transpired. Out of respect for Jehoshaphat, Elisha then obliged them, and the Lord spoke. And the Lord said to them that he was going to provide water, but beyond just providing water, the Lord was also going to meet their real need. The Lord will meet your real needs in Jesus' name. You know, oftentimes we may not fully understand or even know what our real needs are because we get carried away by the symptoms or our immediate pressure. But the beauty of the God that we serve is when we go to him, even in the face of our immediate pressures, he looks beyond our immediate pressures and he goes to our real needs and he he, he, he responds to that and meets the real needs. And that was what Elisha said to them, that the Lord was going to provide water and he was going to do it uniquely and we'll see as we progress. And the Lord did it. In looking at this, I, I, I see what I call human helplessness. Human helplessness. And it's so easy for us to get to our wit ends as human beings. I mean, look at all the preparations that the three armies undertook. And look at the consultation between Joram, Jehoshaphat, and getting the king of Edom. And all their armies getting ready. And seven days down the line, they ran out of water. There was no water at all. There was no water at all. There was no water from the sky. There was no water from the wells, from the ground. The armies could not find water. They had come to their wit end. And sometimes that happens to us a lot. We see our inabilities. And we come to a situation where we are completely helpless. Now, at those points, what do we do? We have the tale of two kings here. The king of Israel, Joram. What did Joram do? Joram starts by accusing God. He starts by accusing God. In verse 10, we see... The moment 
they realized that there was no water. Joram exclaimed. He said, what? Exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? He exclaimed. Three kings feeling very important. He was accusing God. And I've seen some Christians do the same. The moment something goes wrong in their lives, they are quick to accuse God. They are quick to blame God. But that doesn't solve the problem. You don't get problems solved by accusing God. You don't invoke supernatural miracles by accusing God. I know some Christians who go around practically accusing God because they feel that they are poor. I've seen it. I hear people. And I just look at them and I smile. And listen to this. Watch these people that are accusing God that they are poor. They are comfortable. But what they are doing is that they are comparing themselves to other people who are maybe more endowed than them. And they are busy blaming God that they are not like those people. You know, I told someone recently, you know, I was sitting with somebody and he was admiring the guy's food. He wants to eat his food. And I said, you, you are admiring a billionaire's food. You want to eat billionaire's food, but you don't want to carry billionaire's trouble. <laughs> you know? So, you see, you only see the food, you see the good things, the glittering side of it. You don't see the pressures that the billionaire carries. But you'll be desiring and coveting. You'll be coveting the billions of the billionaire. So people go around complaining. Joram complained and accused God. I pray that the Lord will deliver us from complaining. And if you are here, you accuse God and you are angry at God because of a situation in your life, then you better repent and stop doing that because it's not going to solve the problem. You don't accuse God like Joram. As if it was not enough. And, 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 and I look at Joram. Joram persisted in accusing God. His first reaction was to accuse God and when they got to Elisha, and Elisha granted them audience in verse 13b. I mean, in verse 13b, you look at it again, even in the presence of Elisha. And after, this was after Jehoshaphat had pointed them in the right direction. Say, look, let's go and hear the mind of God on this matter. One would think that Jeram will be repentant and pick a clue from his brother king, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat did not accuse God. Instead, he was desirous of knowing the mind of God on the matter. He didn't pick. He didn't learn. So even before um, Elisha, he, he still was accusing God. He, listen to what transpired in verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, 
Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Then listen to Joram. He said, no. The king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Can you see how he progressed this accusation? I pray that none of us will fall into this temptation in Jesus' name. I pray that the Lord will help us. Now that was Joham. Then Jehoshaphat, instead, Jehoshaphat turns attention to God for leading and for help. And in verse 11, we'll see. His first response was to say, look, is there no prophet of the Lord in this place? And the moment they told him that Elisha was there, he said, yes, he has the word of God. Let's go. And he led the other kings. And they went to see Elisha. You know, I pray that that wisdom will prevail in our situation. You know, turning to God for help. Calling God for his intervention. Jehoshaphat's request for a prophet of the Lord, however, shows how true worship and religious experience in both Israel and Judah had declined. In the days of David, if David were to go to a war like that, David would first of all do what? He would inquire of the Lord. They would spend time to worship the Lord. He would carry the priests and the prophets along in his plans. And that was the kind of leadership that David provided. But over time, we saw the decay. And we see an Israel that was in apostate. And we see an Israel whose king will go to war without knowing the mind of God. That was where Israel was. But I thank God that on this occasion, the Lord used this situation and through Jehoshaphat to repoint in his own direction. And you begin to see the purpose of this entire miracle that happened in 2 Kings chapter 3. It's about who? It's about who? It's about God. It's about God. It's about God. It's about God. So sometimes as we pray for miracles, you may be the beneficiaries, but it's important to all know that these miracles are about God and they're designed to point to who? To God and his activities. And that's why we encourage people to testify. We encourage people to share testimonies so that the fact that this is all about God will become obvious. And that's why we have the testimony wall. And I thank God for our prayer team. I thank God for Brother Philip collating and working on all of this. And I do hope that we take time to read those testimonies. To see what God is doing in the lives of people and is doing in our church. So that we can thank him appropriately and we can acknowledge him. So this is about God. And then this then leads me to preparing for divine miracle. Preparing for divine blessing and miracle. In this instance, after they had engaged Elisha, Elisha told them that they should go and build trenches 
in the valley that this was what God was about to do. That God was going to provide water. There will be no wind. There will be no rain. You know? So the armies had to prepare for the divine blessing and miracle. They were supposed to believe the prophet's message and dig pools and trenches in which the precious water would collect. So they were to make the valley full of ditches. If you look at verse 16 of 2 Kings chapter 3, and they did that. They did that. And the following day, we saw the move of the Lord God Almighty. There was no wind, no rain, yet there was what? There was water. There was water. So as a church, and as the church, the body of Christ, so today the church must by various capabilities, efforts, and prayer, make herself ready for this miracle, for his blessings, divine blessings. And that's why we come up with teams. We encourage our people to be devoted to God, to prepare themselves for God's divine intervention and miracles. The church must make the pools for the Lord to fill. Amen? We must make the pools, the benches for the Lord to fill. Faith. This must be done in faith. In full assurance that the miracle is about to come. And it will come in Jesus' name. And that's why as we come up with teams like this, we point in that direction. We encourage our members, we teach that we believe and be focused in our devotion to God and continue to look up to God for his miracle. And as we look up to God for supernatural miracles, we must always remember that God has his own sovereign ways of acting. God's sovereign ways of acting. And we see this clearly manifest in the account of 2 Kings chapter 3. Earlier on, when on, uh, during Elijah, when the Lord responded with rain, the rain came from where? Eh? It, came from, it came from the skies, the clouds, heavy rain, and there was water. But this time around, the Lord came differently. There was no rain, no wind, but somehow there was what? Water. There was water. God's sovereign ways. It was not like Elijah's case when showers poured from the clouds. But in a silent and mysterious manner, God filled the pools, the drenches. He filled them. And all through the valley, there was water. And that's God for you. That's God for you. The Lord has his own sovereign ways of acting. 
He is not tied to tradition. He is not tied to tradition. And he's not tied to time. He's not tied to tradition and time as you and I are. We, he's not. He does as he pleases. He does as he pleases. Among his children, as he does as he chooses. He's not tied to tradition. And it's important for us to get this. I'm sure when Elisha told them that the Lord was going to provide water and that they should go and dig pools or ditches, many of them were hoping that there was going to be rain. But the Lord didn't. He, he came out differently. God has his ways. And he's not bound by time. He's not bound by time at all. No. He's not bound by time. And that's why when Mary and Martha sent for him that their brother Lazarus was sick, he relaxed. He didn't hurry there. He went there four days after the man was dead. Was he late? No. So, as we prepare, as we expect, we need to recognize that God has his sovereign ways of acting. He is not under any obligation to act the way we want him to. And we need to be careful. And in any case, God has a great sense of humor. Sometimes you are looking in this direction, hoping that he's going to come from here. And you know where he comes from? Eh? He comes from where? He comes from a different direction. So that you know that it's all about uh, him. It's all about him. It's all about him. This miracle reaffirmed God's power and authority. At the end of the day, when the armies of Israel, Judah, and Edom saw what God had done. It reaffirmed God's power and his authority. And I'm sure the Lord was working at something to reestablish the worship of Yahweh, to reestablish his authority and power over his people, to begin to reverse the apostasy introduced by um, the previous kings of Israel and validated Elisha's ministry. Those were the early days of his ministry. And if you read the account of Elisha, it's amazing to see the miracles in quick succession that God worked just to validate his ministry after he, he had taken his servant away, Elijah. We as men and as believers, as children of God, are only meant to receive God's miracles with gratitude. Not to begin to dictate to God how he should do it, when he should do it. Ours is to receive with gratitude. Whenever and in whatever way God decides to bless man, man's job is to receive from God with gratitude. And when God delivers, don't complain, don't grumble. Just receive with gratitude. Sometimes it may not come exactly the way you want. 
you may be desiring a job and you probably want it in one particular oil company or telecoms place. And then he gives you a job and says, this is where I want you to be. And then that job comes. You say, ah, but God, ah, which company is this? Which one is this? And you know, I was hoping to hear from uh, Chevron or to hear from, which one is this? Don't uh, grumble. You should accept it with um, gratitude. With gratitude. Or you are trusting God for a baby. And then you, you have a beautiful baby girl. And then when they, when, when they tell you the sex of your baby, you say, ah, ah I already have uh, two girls. I wanted a boy. God have mercy on you. Or vice versa. You know, God is at work. You know, we once did, went through a study series in, the, in, in our Bible study, private Bible study. And we read a book called Experiencing God. And you know, it tells us that, look, God is at work. You see, the work that God has in front of him is huge, is humongous. You have no clue whatsoever. And you are only a small point in all of that. And God has his own way of orchestrating different things in your life in order to be able to achieve some other things down the line. There is so much connectedness in what God does. But as human beings, we see only the now. But God sees your entire lifetime and is connecting a lot of things that you and I are completely oblivious of. We only catch glimpses. So let's not grumble. Let's just accept in gratitude. And the Lord will continue to help us in Jesus' name. Man is never to dictate to God as to when, how, what, etc. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? When they sent for the Lord Jesus to come, they sent for the Lord when their brother was ill. All they wanted Jesus to do was to heal their brother of his sickness, right? But God had a different plan. <laughs> Rather, God wanted to resurrect him from what? From death. And to whose glory was that? To God's glory. So they simply wanted God to come and heal their brother. And when Jesus came four days later, on the way, Martha met him. And Martha, the first thing she said was, oh, go, Master, if you were here, their brother would not have uh, died. He, he just goes to tell you that what they were expecting was not to bring him back from death. And even at that moment, they were not expecting that. What they wanted was just healing for his sickness. But God wanted to deliver something else. I pray that the Lord will help us. Let me just round up quickly. Let's look at some of the lessons from this story. But majorly is God's abundant supply. When you look at that account, you know, they wanted water. But God, in responding to that need, not just that he provided so much water, 
He provided, we are told, abundant supply of water. There was enough water for everyone's need, including their animals. There was so much water that the thing flowed, and the Moabites saw it, and they got confused. The Lord allowed some reflection. And using that too, they thought that it was blood. But the key thing I want you to just focus your mind on for now is the abundance of the supply. That when we go to God, and the Lord responds in his divine intervention and miracle, his supply is abundant. His supply is, 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 is abundant. That was enough. The Lord will meet your needs in abundance in Jesus' name. But I want you to recall my first message last year when I was talking about great abundance and I talked about the purpose of abundance. And I said that, look, when you have abundance, you have a stewardship responsibility for abundance. It's important to connect some of this. But suffice it for now to know and remember that in this instance, it's remarkable that God's supply was in abundance. And the Lord will meet your needs in abundance in Jesus' name. So it is the same with the gospel. All the needs of our congregation and the entire church will be met by the divine power of our Lord in answer to our prayers in Jesus' name. Your, the needs in your personal lives too. He will meet your needs according to his riches and glory. That's what he says. His supplies cover the divine scoping of our needs. The Lord carries out a divine scoping of our needs. Sometimes, like I said earlier, we may not even fully appreciate what our own needs are. We may just be carried away by our immediate pressure. The Lord undertakes a divine scoping of what our needs are. And in responding, in, in divine intervention, he meets that whole need. He meets the need to respond to his divine scoping of our needs. And that was exactly what happened to the armies of Israel, Judah, and um, Edom. Their need, as far as they were concerned, at that material time was water. But they needed more than water. Otherwise, they would have suffered some huge defeat in the hands of the army of the Moabites. Managing your miracles within the boundaries of his laws and obedience. You, you see, there is one lesson here in this story that I want us to bear in mind. And it goes to how we manage the outcome of the miracles that the Lord will work in our lives. In this instance, the Lord, in addition to providing water, also decided that, look, he was going to give them victory, which was even more important for them. And the Lord actually delivered victory. But, you know, they had to go from city to city amongst, um, within the land of Moab. 
And as they went on, and, you know, sometimes we get overexcited. You know, in victory, there's always a lot of excitement. And, you know, when, when, when armies are winning wars, they made the mistake of also destroying farmlands. They were destroying trees that bear fruits that ordinarily they should not have done so. Because Deuteronomy 20, when the Lord was setting out his laws, and he said, look, whenever they go to war, they should not destroy farmlands. They should not destroy trees that bear fruit. Because ultimately, you know, they come back to live on those things. But the armies of Israel and Judah and Edom, as they were defeating the Moabites, were destroying those things. And in the process, were contravening the laws of the Lord. And if you remember one of the things that General said when he spoke in that video on advance, that when you advance and you conquer territories, you want to establish yourself in those territories. You want to take over control, take possession. Now, they were winning that war, they were capturing cities, but ultimately, they couldn't establish themselves because finally, at a point, they had to retreat. The king of Moab, we're told, experienced so much defeat, and then later got 700 men, and he was so furious that he took his son, his son who was here to the throne, he offered it to their god, Chesmos. And after that, his 700 men became very ferocious and they fought, trying to break through the ranks of the, um, uh, the army of Israel and Judah. Eventually, the army of Israel had to do a retreat. And then they withdrew and went back. Mission not fully accomplished. Some commentaries have it that that happened because they disobeyed God by destroying farmlands and destroying trees that are fruit-bearing. Now, let's not get into the controversies of theology. But the lesson here is that as the Lord delivers his miracles and we get the benefits of his miracle, let us always know and recognize the boundaries. Let us know that there are laws of the Lord. We must continue to live in compliance. We must celebrate our victories and enjoy the fruits of these miracles within the confines of the Lord's laws. Our devotion to him must continue. In fact, the more of these miracles we enjoy and benefit from, the more of God the more devoted we must become. Someone, one of our members recently just got a good job as a, uh, as a CEO. So he called me up and shared it with me. In the process, we we're talking and praying. He got the job and I told him. I told him of the baboon. I was taught this in 1996 by David Wong in Maui. 
You know, he gave us this illustration. When you see a baboon, one of the characteristics of a baboon is the red bottom, right? When the baboon is sitting on the floor, on the ground, you don't see the, the red bottom. But as the baboon climbs and begins to go up maybe the palm tree or whatever tree, the higher the baboon goes, the more of the red side bottom that is exposed. So the more of these miraculous interventions that we begin to experience, we need to dedicate ourselves more in devotion to God because it can also mean that we become even more vulnerable because we must enjoy and live within the confines of God's um, commands. And I pray that the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I want us to just rise as we conclude. I want us to, I want you to just begin to speak to God and talk to God and ask that the Lord will help you and prepare you for the great move of his spirit. Ask that the Lord will prepare you for his miraculous intervention in our individual lives, in our church, and even in our nation. I want you to pray that the Lord will begin to point you in the direction that he wants you to go. That the Lord will begin to open your eyes to see the, 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 where he wants you to begin to prepare trenches that he's going to fill. Where the valleys are and where to position the pools that the Lord is going to fill. And pray that when the miraculous begins to happen, that the Lord will guide you so that you will not miss it. That these miracles will point you in the direction, in the direction of the Lord and not to get us conceited or to take us away from God. I know many people that the Lord will bless they will see the miracles of God. And then that takes them away. Because they now begin to feel that they are self-made. I pray that that will not be our portion in Jesus' name. And perhaps you are here with us today. Either on site or you have joined us online. And you are wondering, how will I be ready for these supernatural miracles? The very first step is you need to connect to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't connect, it's like carrying a phone and your SIM is not connected to the network. You cannot make a call. You cannot successfully put a call through. You need to first give your life to Christ. You need to ask Christ to come into your life. So if you are here with us today, and you have not at any time given your life to Christ. Today is a day of salvation. The very first step to connecting to these supernatural miracles and the very first supernatural miracle that should take place in your life 
is for you to decide to give your life to Christ today and now. And if you are here, the Lord Jesus is here. He wants to be able to meet you and connect with you and turn around the situation in your life and get you ready for these supernatural miracles. If you are here, you've never given your life to Christ, this is your chance. Just place your right hand on your chest and begin to ask that the Lord will come into your life. Ask him to forgive you your sins. Just place your right hand on your chest. You are before God. Just place it. Place it confidently. Place it confidently. Yes, place it confidently. God bless you. Place it confidently. And begin to ask the Lord to forgive you. Begin to ask the Lord to forgive you. To forgive you your sins. To forgive you your sins. Repent. Forsake them. Tell God that you want to forsake your sins. You want the Lord Jesus to come into your life. You want a turnaround. You want a regeneration. You don't want to be the same again. You want to connect to the Lord Jesus. You want to be a new creation. Jesus is here right now. Jesus is here right now. He wants to connect to you. The rest of us, I want us to begin to continue to talk to God and ask that the Lord will help us. Ask that the Lord will help you. Ask that the Lord will help you and prepare you in faith to direct you as you prepare for supernatural miracles. Father Lord, we just want to thank you for this time. We want to magnify you. Glory, honor, and adoration be unto thy name. Help us, Father, as you prepare us for the move of your spirit. As you prepare us for the supernatural things you will be doing in our individual lives and in our church. Help us and prepare us for your miracle. And help us to know that these miracles are meant to point at you. Help us, Lord, that we will not at any time share glory with you. Help us, Lord, that we will not take glory in the things that you do. And help us, Lord, to know that we must allow these miracles to point to you and to your activities in your work of redemption amongst men. Help us, eternal rock of ages, so that we know the purpose of miracles and connect to the purpose of miracles. Thank you, Father. Glory, honor, and adoration be unto thy name. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Amen. Amen.